Okay, we're live. It's episode 58 of the Adrian Bow podcast. And today I'm very, very delighted to uh, have a very good friend of mine join me uh, from um, sunny Brisbane. And it's Reuben Packer-Hill from McGrath Paddington office in Brisbane. Um, how are you doing today, Reuben? I'm excellent, Adrian. Thank you so much for having me on board. Nah, pleasure, mate. Pleasure. Uh, uh, we were just having a little little brief chat before, obviously, recording started, and it was uh, it was good to um, good to have a, a brief chat. And you know, I've had the pleasure of of working with you for for, for many years, and um, you know, I've real I've been uh, I've been ad- admiring your progress and and keeping an eye on your career, and certainly over the last decade, um, you know, I've just seen you grow from strength to strength. And, and really build what I've seen a, um, a, a quite a quite a robust business in in what's been you know in that ten years quite a, quite a fluctuating market. So I, th- I think what a lot of people want to first hear about Ruben is is how, you know how you first got into the industry um, mm-hmm. and and how long ago that was. If you just don't mind sort of sharing that with us, that'd be great. Yeah, of course. I, I get asked this question a lot and to a lot of people's surprise, uh, I started back in 2007. Yeah. Um, and I say to a lot of people's surprise because I'm, I'm sort of blessed with this baby face of mine <laughs> where it looks like uh, I'm still 16 now. But um, t- 2007, I don't want to sound cliche, but I sort of did fall into real estate. Um, yep. I started a, a business law degree straight out of school. And, um, and I wanted to get some admin experience in an office. And my sister sort of suggested that um, I should come and, and work at her real estate office that she was working at at the time. Mm. And, uh, and yeah, from there, I sort of gravitated towards the, um, I guess, towards the industry. For the first year or so, I was a bit of a, an office gopher, just doing admin tasks. And I was actually an assistant to the director of the, the, the office, who was mm. a non-selling principal. But that gave me good grounding in that first 12 months just to see sort of all the facets um, of running a real estate business, property management, admin, trust accounting, those type of things. Um, and when I turned 18, I wanted to get into sales and uh, he actually thought I was, I was going to be too young. So I left that office and, and started with, a, with another company and yeah, that was back in 2008 now, so 12 yep. years later. There you go. Oh, good stuff, mate. And I know at the moment you're very heavily focused in that Chapel Hill and surround area. Um, yeah. And in terms of um, your your GCI and volume of sales, what what sort of ballpark? What 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 will you end up doing this financial year or even calendar year that's finished? So we, we would have. I will be falling short of what we had planned for this current financial year. For myself personally, I think I'll wind up uh, probably around the six fifty mark. Yep. Um, when I include um, uh, my team, we'll probably end up uh, closer to, to eight hundred. Yep. Uh, we want. We wanted to hit uh, over a, over a million this financial year, but uh, just with a slight slowdown over the last couple of months, we'll probably miss it. Leading yep. into next financial year, my personal GCI goal is a million, and yep. uh, my associate jacks up at two fifty. So hopefully that one two five one three mark. Yep, perfect, perfect. Now, how, what what sort of volume of sales is is that, um, Ruben? What's how how many sales a year are we talking? Between fifty and sixty. 
Okay, good. Now, a lot of people are quite interested in, you know, what the effective business unit looks like or the EBU. Um, you know, in my opinion, you've, you've got an EBU set up that's, that's quite effective in the sense that you've got one associate agent with Jack and then yep. also an administration assistant as well. Um, yep. You know, in my opinion, even though it's sort of an 800 GCI business or a, or a 50 or 60 sale a year business, that has got the existing resources and the existing capacity and bandwidth to do double. Um, and I know that's your goal. Um, and, and you, you're definitely on, on track to do that for next, next fin year. If you could just tell us a little bit about each job description, you know, in terms of what, what Jack and, and Isabel do. Yep, definitely. So, and, and you're absolutely right. There's certainly capacity there to push it. And that that's part of the process in terms of each individual within the team growing um, that will sort of add uh, to, to, I guess, the, the potential that the team has as a whole. Yeah. So um, Jack actually came on board first uh, yep. as an associate agent. Yep. And, and to be frank, I, I went a little bit, um, I guess I went against the curve in the sense a, a lot of people put on uh, admin help uh, to start with. But for me, um, we actually had, uh, I had a little girl a couple of years ago and it needed some extra help with the prospecting side of things and the appointment side of things. So we wanted to get busier and busier uh, before we we wanted extra help with the admin side of things. So um, Jack is there in an associate agent capacity where he will handle sort of out of area listings that we've got. Um, he sort of merged out of a buyer servicing role, which he sort of initially ran with for the first 12 or 18 months. Um, but now as Jack's progressed, he's sort of his own agent in his own right, but works within the team and helps with sort of the overflow of I mean, still buy work, but certainly a lot of prospecting and lead generation activity off, off the back of uh, other listings and success marketing. Terrific. And, and um, Isabella's role is more of an admin marketing type role? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Isabella is certainly crucial to the team as well. She sort of not just oversees um, the day-to-day activities for us, but she's also in, a, uh, I guess, a marketing role in terms of getting proofs organised for owners and booking in photography. She also now takes over a lot of our client services um, job description. So in terms of keeping owners up to date with vendor, sorry, with buyer feedback, um, she'll also help owners in terms of getting properties ready for sale, whether that be, you know, styling quotes or any handyman work that needs to be done to the property. So she sort of becomes that client liaison um, between the property being listed and us going live to market. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so what what I'm what I'm hearing, um, Ruben, is is you've got three specialists that are staying in each of their lanes. Obviously, what your main focus is listing, negotiating, selling, prospecting, keeping a deal together, because that yep. that's that's the highly dollar productivity productivity type roles, and that's what your your laser beam focused on. Jack is obviously doing that to a degree, but also doing a lot of buyer management work and, yep. and trying to list and sell his own as well and Isabella's more back-end operations team management etc so I think that you know a lot of people are quite fascinated how an EBU works and I think the the beauty is it can be very simple and as long Mm. as everyone stays in their lane and has proper job descriptions and accountability I think that that's that's crucial Um, you know so uh, you know if anyone is looking to put someone on I, I do like how you've refreshingly said, you know, uh, rather than putting someone in admin marketing, you know, your first point of contact was actually another lead generation or a dollar 
productive or income generating type role before the admin type role where probably five, 10 years ago, if you spoke to someone, it would have been the other way around. So it's quite interesting to see how EBUs are evolving and also what the hierarchy of roles are um, in terms of their evolution as well. So I also advocate that myself, um, Ruben. So a lot of people do ask, you know, what's, what's the first person I put on when I do, I think at the moment, um, any income generating role is, is crucial. Um, I just think you need to leverage technology a little bit better where probably 10 okay. years ago when there was a lot of print media and a lot more marketing, a lot more administration, um, then the, it, it was a full-time role. It can yep. still be a full-time role, you know, if there's two people that are doing sales like yourself and Jack. But I think if it's just one agent who's putting one person on, you know, I think that one person needs to be mainly lead generation and income generating and then partly administration. And I think people probably need to leverage technology a little bit better, um, yeah. whether, whether it's um, an offshore assistant, whether it's Facebook generation leads, whether it's social yeah. media, um, what, whatever it might be. So, yeah, it's, it, I'm, I'm interested to hear how, how you did that, which is quite, quite refreshing and probably quite consistent with what a lot of people are doing at the moment. Um, Definitely. I was going to say, yeah, go I was going to say also, sorry to interrupt, but the, when it, when you look at sort of putting that first person on, it doesn't have to be a physical person if you're mm. not in that position. I mean, everybody sort of works with the same issue of when do you put somebody on? Do you have enough cash flow lined up for the next three or six months? But sometimes it's not about putting an extra physical person in that slot. It might be outsourcing to be at a, I don't know, a telemarketer or outsourcing to, you know, ghost voicemail services um, and certainly in this day and age with a lot more automation available, um, sometimes it's just about keeping aware of other systems and processes that you can implement into your business to generate more leads and, and listing activity. Yeah, I agree. And for people who don't know what Ghost Voicemail is, um, it's, it's, it's commonly used among some top agents whereby uh, it's basically a technology platform where you're uploading uh, phone numbers through a CSV. Um, you're recording a message like, uh, hi, it's Ruben Packer Hill from McGrath, just letting you know that we've just listed or just sold this property. Or are you looking to get a market appraisal? And basically you press a button that can go out between anywhere from 100 to 2,000 people, you know, and then that message goes straight into their voice message box. Um, it does come up as a missed call on their phone, and the beauty is that they will call you straight back. So I've personally used that technology. You've obviously been using it as well, Ruben. Um, yeah. how, how, how have you found it yourself? Oh, look, I, I think you always want to um, try and, and make the call personally just to sort of keep that, um, I guess, keep that relationship going and just to find out any other particular changes to a client situation. But sometimes we, we do get busy. I mean, we all get busy and I'd rather send a ghost voicemail than not make the call at all. Yep. Um, one of the key areas of success we've had, we've had with ghost voicemails, I mean, we do the just listed and the just sold calls, especially to clients that, you know, we've got an established relationship with, but if I have an appraisal organized in a specific street with a few days notice, I'll then send a ghost voicemail to other clients in that street, letting them know that I'm in the area on Tuesday, you know, two o'clock or two to four. Um, and if they wanted me to pop in to, to catch up and we have a good response with that ghost voicemail that goes out. 
Yeah, it's brilliant. And and I, I agree with you, Ruben. I mean, in, in an ideal world, you're able to call everyone. But let's say, for example, you know, it's just yourself and Jack. I mean, you, yep. you know, in, in any one day, you're only ever going to be able to make probably 50 connects a day by the time each, you know, by the time you're doing emails and face-to-face meetings, et cetera. And then if you've got hundreds, if not thousands of other orphan data, which are not being serviced, you know, to hear your voice, um, um, as well as get maybe a monthly newsletter, as well as they drive past and see a signboard, and then they drive past your office. I mean, all these things amount to awareness and, and, yep. and we are in the awareness business. Let's face it. I mean, Definitely. what happens is people uh, are in your database or you speak to them and, and you know, they're, they're constantly saying to you, look, I'm not looking to sell at the moment. Um, and they might say that for three or four years and then one day they wake up and they get a job transfer to Sydney or they, they're having another child or, um, you know, they need to downsize, whatever the case is. And, and they literally think that, day, okay, who am I going to call? And the people they're going to call is not necessarily the person that gave them the best service four years ago, even though it might be, but it's the person who actually provided uh, the most touch points over the last four years or five years, whatever that might be. And those touch points are a combination of things. They're voice messages, their email newsletters, their social media, their signboards, DL cards, like nothing in isolation works. A DL card in isolation doesn't work, but if you're prospecting, emailing, getting great results, sponsoring a local school, whatever it might be, this is that ubiquitous and saturation type marketing, which is what, what our business is all about, that awareness factor. So, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be apologising for Ghost Voicemail. I think it's a really good um, initiative in addition to many other traditional initiatives, um, mm-hmm. be it DL cards or prospecting. Um, and it's just a little 1%. Our business is all about 1%, Ruben. Like, like you and I have worked together and I've coached you and we've, we've done sessions in the past. And, and as you know, and what I've taught you over the years, it's, it's a game of millimetres. You know, like yeah. if, you've, if you've got that, that dialogue, you know, at a listing appointment, if you send information in advance, if, if, if you're leaving a handwritten thank you card or if you're doing the ghost voicemail, as you said, or if you're building your database by, you know, 100 people a, a, a month. I mean, all these little things add up over, you know, five, 10 years to make you that, that awareness agent. And, and, and a lot of people use a cliche term as attraction agent. I think it's more of an awareness agent. So when that person does decide that they want to get an appraisal, at least you're on the shopping list. And that's only, that's only half the battle, right? Then you've got to actually go in and, 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 and list the property as well. So definitely, um, definitely. It's, it's about being top of mind. I mean, that, that's what it is. It's, it's the agent that's, that's top of mind when their, when their situation does change. Um, some people have a planned, you know, sale forthcoming, but for a lot of people it is unplanned and you're right. I mean, it falls into a category of a, you know, a death or a divorce or a baby. I mean, a lot of positive changes as well that are just unforeseen. So mm-hmm. just being top of mind and you're absolutely right. It's a whole combination of efforts that create the touch points. And I know for us, we've had a lot of success over recent years through social media marketing um, as one of the softest but most consistent touch points um, for our marketplace. Yeah, t- tell me more about that, Ruben. Like, what specifically are you doing in, in terms of social media? Because it's a bit mystical, social media. Like, some agents mm. are just uh, are quite um, intimidated by. It. They don't know where to start, what to do, where to spend money. Um, you know, what what do you what would you recommend to anyone listening if they're not active in social media? Where's a good place to start, and what are you doing that's working? 
So again, I think getting an understanding of what the, the objective is. So for, for us with social media, it's, it's not actually about lead generation. It is about awareness. Yep. Um, so get an understanding of that first and foremost, so you, that you're not checking your bank account every six months, trying to ascertain how much money is being generated from a spend in social media. Um, where to start? Just start with your just listed and your just sold. Yep. I mean, we're, we're big on video content um, for all of our listings. So obviously having a, a, a property video and, and boosting that to the local area, that's mm. certainly important. And not just from a, a profile perspective, but with the property itself in terms of attracting passive buyer interest from those that may not be actively scanning, you know, realestate.com and domain. Um, if you're going to invest money further, I'd strongly recommend that you engage with a social media professional so that it's a set and forget strategy. You've got somebody that's actually thinking about the content that needs to go out. For a lot of our social media content, putting aside you know, listing videos and market updates, we also try to give um, our marketplace uh, sort of general information on the area. So we've had a lot of success with doing history videos. I'm a member of the local sort of Kenmore Historical Society and we do an interview once a month, just for about two minutes or so, uh, with the president and we choose a topic um, and a piece of history of the area that we'll interview her on. And to be frank, that probably has one of, that probably has the best engagement of any content that we put out because a lot of those people aren't in real estate mode, but they're interested in the history of the area. And again, it's about keeping top of mind when they're ready to transact. Yeah, I love that, mate, because, you know, what, what you're basically saying is um, stay in the process, don't focus on the outcome, you know, and I think that's a mistake a lot of agents make. It's a bit like when they put a new team member on, they're like, oh, you know, this team member hasn't brought any leads in. It's like, well, stay in process because maybe sometimes that team member is there to free you up so you can bring more leads in, you know, and so it's a bit like the social media. It's not like you do a DL drop or you spend three hours of prospecting and at the end of it you know guaranteed that you're going to have three or four listing appointments i mean it's it's doing the little things consistently not just once it's a bit like you know you don't go to the gym once and and you suddenly fit you, you got to do got to do it consistently and i think that that is uh, that is is relevant for both traditional means of prospecting. So let's call it calling and letterbox dropping. And then obviously the, the more modern forms, which is obviously social media, ghost voicemail, whatever that might be. So I think reducing your expectations in the short term is a good idea and, yeah, and adopting a long-term approach and playing that long game, you know. Um, yeah. And the other thing I heard you know, when you're talking, you know, as a takeaway, Ruben was, was adding value. So, you know, mm. the historical society talking to the president, th these are things that people are interested in listening to, but you're also adding value to them rather than just saying, are you planning to sell? I, you know, do you own in the area? And the, the, these are what the other agents are probably doing. So for you to just continually add value. So when that day does come, when you do want to be the awareness agent, um, and get that phone call that obviously it's, it's, it's going to be a more attractive option for them, you know? Well, that's right. I mean, your social media, um, you, your page, be that Instagram, Facebook, or whichever uh, medium you're using, you've got to think of it as like a TV channel. If, you, if you're watching, say, 
channel seven and all you're seeing is home and away every single hour, you're likely to turn that off or switch channels. So for people to be engaging with your social media channel, you need to have a suite of content there that keeps them engaged. So it can't just be real estate focused. It's got to be community driven. You know, we do some um, tips with gardeners or be it cleaners or stylists or, you know, any, anything that we can give value on that's sort of out of the real estate space, we find usually has the best engagement and the when you have better engagement, the, the Facebook algorithms prefer that. They'll push more of your content out. And yes. then you can look at your, your next strategy, which is around digital, digital marketing in terms of cooking people that are, are watching that content and then drip feeding them sort of additional ads and serving them new ads um, once they've sort of um, initially engaged with your content. So it does make up a whole suite and sphere and we probably don't have enough time to go into it today. Mm. But, um, but that certainly is something in this day and age that I think every agent should have set up. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, so, so I suppose in, for, for the social media component, in summary, it's just get started. Don't, don't get yep. too bogged down in, in, in quantity or quality. Like obviously just listed, just sold is a good place to start. And then just Definitely. continue to add value and be consistent. Give information that people are likely to, to, to benefit from. Um, mm-hmm. and, and have it as only one vertical in, in, in a word you used, a suite of, 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 of lead generation mechanisms you know and play the long game reduce your expectations make sure you complement it with traditional prospecting traditional dl cards um you know email newsletters uh etc so you've got that that saturation approach you know um definitely so so in terms of the actual listing appointment itself ruben so you you get the call or you've called someone and they've you've decided to go out there what what what's your what's your actual uh, approach with 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 a listing do you do you send a pre-listing kit if you know it's a definite seller do you like to do the tool first and then sit down what's what's your whole approach with that so i guess uh, the first thing that we'll try and do is ask good listing questions because yep. you've got to know a game that you can win yep. um so it's really important even if we're in the even if i'm driving in the car and somebody calls me um, to organize an appointment to come out and, and list their property if, if i'm too busy or if i'm distracted i'll take the call but then organize a call back that later that day to make sure i'm getting enough information to be prepared for that appraisal or that listing presentation um, from there isabel usually takes over with ensuring that we're getting a pre-list kit hand delivered mm-hmm. um, in our marketplace we have an older demographic so we still believe in the touch it and feel it uh, pre-list kit and we're quite often, um, quite often we're given um, good responses or good feedback from the pre-list kit that, that arrives within 24 hours, just so the client can ascertain who we are, get an idea of our credentials, so that we do arrive at the front door, there, there's less questions asked um, and there's more probably weight given on the advice that we're providing. So within 24 hours, pre-list kit's delivered. Um, the day of the appointment, it's non-negotiable that Isabella will call and confirm. Um, and even little things like turning up on time, you know, it's really important as well. You know, some people don't have an issue with turning up a couple of minutes late, not in my world. You're there, if the appointment's one o'clock, you're knocking on the door at one o'clock, um, which is really, really important. Yep. And, and how, how is it placed in terms of the appointment itself? Do you like to do the tour and then sit down or sort of, you know, how, how do you control that part of it? Look, I mean, one thing about my business is we're ever evolving and we're ever looking at what's working and what's not working, where things are changing. Um, I'd say up until now, I have kept my listing presentations relatively fluid. I mean, obviously, there's a set agenda that you need to work through with the client, but we, I do remain pretty fluid through that. 
I'm, I'm starting to shift that because again, if we're going to try and increase number of sales, number of listings, we want to get some more process into our business and also just reduce time that I might spend at a listing presentation. So ideally, yes, I'd tour the property first. Um, but with that said, I'd probably, you know, have a five minute, 10 minute sit down initially um, as by way of an introduction and just to sort of take control of that meeting and explain how it will work um, just to try and ascertain the client's situation um, before I have a good look around. Because the challenge of having a look around to start with is the first question they're going to ask you when you do sit down is about price. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just trying to ascertain the situation, you know, if they've had any previous experience selling, if they're talking with any other agents, um, expectations on time frame, things like that. I try and get um, out of the way in that initial five or 10 minute sit down. Perfect. Perfect. Now, you mentioned that you send a pre-listing kit without telling us what everything that's in it. What's, what's one or two things that are non-negotiables that you do like to send in advance? Oh, look, I'm, I'm, I've always been an open book. So if anyone wants to have a look at what we send out, you know, please reach out because I'm more than happy to send it. Mm. Um, the booklet, we've customised it. Um, so it's very much about, you know, my credentials as well as, uh, I mean, McGrath certainly in there and the benefit that comes with the McGrath brand. But, mm. I mean, we've got the track record in the area um, to really ensure that we're utilising that for leverage. Um, certainly looking at um, track record in the sense of number of sales, um, looking at a profile in terms of who we are and what we do. We like to talk about our community um, involvement as well with the school, the society, the historical society, as well as the, the rugby club. But, um, you know, just making sure we've got credentials in there in terms of like a report card. Josh Vegan um, utilises this as a listing tool, talking about number of sales, number of families that you've assisted, um, just to make sure that they understand the person that they're meeting with has those credentials to give them that advice. Perfect. And you mentioned that, that at the listing appointment, you, you create an agenda, like, you know, what are one of the two things? I assume that you're talking about method of sale and the marketing, but what, 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 what's, what's one thing in particular you think is really important on the agenda at the listing appointment? So, I mean, again, ascertaining their overall situation to start with is one of the most crucial things you can do because it gives you an idea of, you know, what the game is that you're trying to win. Um, we talk through selecting an agent, you know, what are going to be some of their key preferences when they're looking to identify or engage an agent. Um, obviously, method, not just in terms of be that exclusive, sorry, private treaty or running an auction campaign, but whether they're open to off-market or initial, an initial soft launch um, of the listing first. Uh, obviously marketing and also talking about price in terms of how price is, um, is ascertained, how buyers look at price, how agents look at price, and of course, how owners usually try and dictate their pricing expectations. Interesting. That's great, buddy. Hey, so with, with the current market, Ruben, I, I know that we sort of just come up off the back of, of COVID and, and the market seems to re, re, have recovered better and quicker than, than a lot of people expected. Um, how, how have you found it in your particular market um, and how are you performing at the moment? Look, to be frank, we, we found the market surprisingly resilient um, through our core areas. Um, again, there was that initial sort of two or three week paralysis where, you know, COVID was first un unravelling. And at that point in time, it was really about checking in with clients for their general sort of well-being because um, everyone was going through a lot of changes. But once we started coming out of that and, and started getting an idea of the logistical impacts of transacting real estate, it was more about checking in with buyers to see who was still in a, me, a position to buy and still had confidence around buying. And again, we were quite surprised at the amount of people that were still wanting to transact um, th through the COVID period. 
And off the back of that, because there wasn't that much change to buy demand, we actually found that the bigger issue was around sellers that had wanted to sell through 2020 that thought, well, now's not a great time, we'll hold off. And that's now, now we're seeing the result of that with a lack of stock. So in my market, stock levels are down probably 20, 30%. So there's still a lot of pressure um, on prices because we're still getting a lot of multiple offer situations. That's excellent. Yeah, so I mean, for me, you know, I've talked about it a lot that, that COVID is a metaphor for, for what challenges have happened before this particular time in the market, whether it's high yeah. interest rates, change of government, um, you know, 9-11, GFC, GFC whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and also a, a metaphor for what's to come because there's always going to be these events. And um, I think the agents that can adapt and the agents that have a, a, a large and extensive database are the ones that are going to thrive through these periods. Um, so, you know, we're a transaction business, as you know, we're not a business that relies on high prices. We're, we're a transaction business. We're there to maintain market share and clip the ticket along the way. So what I heard in your response was, you know, you pivoted to buyers straight away because stock levels are down. There was people that still wanting to buy. So you suddenly become sort of, almost like a buyer's agent, if you will, and you're matching buyers with sellers. Um, and and now what I'm hearing is stock levels are low, so you're still getting multiple offers on uh, on existing listings that, that you've got on the market. Exactly. And I mean, checking in with buyers, one of the key sort of uh, reasons for that is with the logistical unknowns of running open homes and the number of people that could come through property, for a lot of our clients that were still open to selling, which there were still plenty of, we were looking more at off-market strategies. So mm. during that COVID period, I think we traded, you know, at least four or five homes um, off-market where we did the old school way of matching the right buyers up to the right house. And that can only be done through genuine conversation, you know, in terms of actually following up the key people that you know have to transact because they've got a looming settlement themselves or potentially an end of lease. Um, and that, that needs to be done through proper servicing, buyer servicing. Yeah, I agree. The other thing, uh, Ruben, people would be interested in is, is so at the moment, you know, you're doing 800 GCI. I know you're going to double next year because every couple of years that I've worked with you, you've doubled your business. You know, you, you haven't been in the industry as long as some other, you know, dominant agents in, in the market, but you do double every sort of 18 to 24 months. And I know you'll double again next year. What, what keeps you focused and what keeps you motivated? Because surely there's days where you just think, shit, this is too hard. What am I doing? Am I in the right, you know, industry? Um, yeah, there's rejection, deals fall over, listings get lost. Like, you know, all this happens in the day of life of a real estate agent. And obviously, you know, you're starting now to doing higher volumes. What, what is it, A, that keeps you focused? And B, how do you deal with adversity, you know, when it does happen? So I guess there's a lot of, uh, a lot of ways to answer that. And there's a lot of answers in it. Um, I think at the end of the day, a successful real estate person has that resilience embedded in them um, in, in terms of understanding that you, you have to be able to be in a position to pick yourself up when you're having those bad days and also not get too, too excited when you're having those big wins. I think you've got to try and keep emotionally sort of stable throughout the whole process. Um, I know it's a cliche term, but, uh, you know, having a big why is so, so important and I know for me, that's, that's, of course, my little girl, Lily. And, mm. you know, I say that I've been in the industry for 12 years, but it's probably only the last four years that she was born mm. that I feel like I've really become pro. 
Um, and that, that's a big term because I had that printed out on a sign above my desk for many years. You know, when are you going to make the decision to go pro? Mm. Because that you, you can be really busy being busy in this industry. Mm. But, you know, unless you're hitting a certain, um, a certain level, and that not, isn't necessarily always revenue related, but unless you're hitting a certain level, you've got to ask yourself, is it really worth it, the time and effort that you put into it? So keeping emotionally grounded, having a really big why is important. If you don't know what that is, you need to spend some time working that out because that's what's going to get you through those tougher times that we're all going to have. And I think also just having an expectation that that's the nature of our, of our game, of our industry. You know, it is up and down. You've got to manage those expectations and be aware of that up front. That's mm. it's a great response, mate. So what, what I took away from that was, was the indifference between how you respond when times are tough, i.e. losing a listing, but also how you respond when you're victorious and that might be doing th- three deals in one day or whatever. So, you know, you, you sort of, you know, you mentioned there, it's, it's how you react with both of those scenarios because, you know, um, sometimes, you know, if you're too victorious and have too much success, then ego can creep into your life. And, and I yeah. know that's not part of your life, but it is epidemic in our industry. We, we know that. Um, and so not having that massive elation um, and not going into that massive depression when mm. you're winning and losing respectively. So I think that, that mastering that indifference, um, I think, is what I picked up there, which is, which is a really good point, um, Ruben, because a lot, a lot of people have those manic reactions, you know, either too high or too low, where if you're learning to be indifferent and just say, well, part of the life uh, of of in the day of being an agent is you're going to win a listing, lose a listing, get a sale, lose a sale, you know, sign off a piece of marketing. So these are all things that happen, you know, the other things that, you know, about, about, you know, your expectations and preparing yourself. It's true because, you know, a lot, a lot of people, you know, when, if I, if I lose a listing, they say to me, shit, how do you feel? And I'm like, well, how do you feel after you do an open for inspection? It was because they're, they're, they're two things that are, are, are guaranteed to happen in the week of, of an active real estate agent, right? It's just that right. one of them earns you, earns you money and gets your profile. Another one doesn't. But if you're not losing listings, it means you're not going to enough appointments. Um, so a lot of agents, yeah, yeah. as you know, you've seen it. You've seen it, Ruben. A lot of agents, um, they, they get very disheartened because they're not dealing with that that rejection well enough um mm-hmm. but they need to change their paradigm because it's not like someone sat them down on day one of agency and said you know what adrian every listing you're going to go for you're going to get um you know what reuben every offer and acceptance that's going to happen is going to go through like no one ever told you that from day one but when agents when you see agents respond uh, to or react to when deals fall over, it's catastrophic, right? So yeah. I, I think, you know, and we're not all perfect. We all sort of have hopes that deals go through and get, get you know, get get a bit upset when, when listings fall over. Well, that all happens, but it's, it's literally got to last for 10 seconds and then you've got to pivot to the next transaction because if you lose a listing or a deal falls over and you carry that mentality into the next three meetings, whether it's a price alignment meeting, a buyer meeting or a listing presentation, you know you're going to probably um uh uh, sabotage all three of them you know as well because of your energy so you know i think that's a really good response yeah you have to you have to reset it you have to reset it definitely and i mean it's like john always says you know you can if you had a bad hour you know don't let it turn into a bad day which turns into a bad week a bad month you know turns out to a bad quarter and then a bad year you've got to be able to reset Mm -hmm. you know with all of that said 
you know, we, we have to be professional enough to also take the time to also review where you could have done it differently to look for those one percenters. You know, you always talk about that as well, Bowie, you know, having, it's not about big changes you need to implement into your business. Often it's just a 1% pivot here or there, but do take some time to reflect on, okay, well, if I lost this or if I didn't close this deal, is there anything I actually could have done differently um, to bring into the next, um, the next deal, the next listing that might give me a better chance of securing it? You've got to reflect as well. Great point, because what a lot of agents do is they they sabotage their entire business plan because something went wrong and they sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater where it's unnecessary because it's a bit like, you know, the analogy of, you know, if you're, if you're really got a sore back and you go to the chiropractor, it's only one or two adjustments that they make and suddenly you feel a hundred percent better. You know, you, you, exactly. don't, you, you don't need to start all over again. Just, you know, have your listing presentation evolved by 1%, have your set to sell meeting evolved by 1%, you know, so you're right. Like, you know, small improvements um, and and time will ensure that you'll 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 get better and better as 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 you go you go on, which is which is terrific. And look, I, I don't think it is cliche about this. What's your why? What's your purpose? Because um, you know, I think for you, it's it you know your your little your little girl is obviously what what drives you, and that and that it doesn't allow you to get off track. You know, you just you just can't afford to get off track because you've got another human being that's relying and you every single day so it's a very compelling purpose you know so you know, anyone listening to this who doesn't know what their why is like Ruben said damn well work it out and work it out real quick because when you do off get off track you won't be able to afford to be off track for too long you're going to have to switch back and and turn on to that that business channel um, and stay laser beam focused because there's going to be either clients relying on you family relying on you um you know whatever it might be even if it's just debt or even if it's material things it doesn't really matter as long as there's something that's compelling that's really driving you um to make sure that you stay on track every single day um, yeah, absolutely. So, just as as we wrap up, Ruben, mate, it's 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 been great chatting to you. I mean, what's what do you feel um, the the mo- the most critical things would be for an agent? Let's just say one or two things. If if an agent at the moment is is feeling off track, you know, they're they're sort of um, they're a bit fatigued by COVID. Um, they've had a couple of deals fall over, or if they're just starting in the industry, you know, what what couple of things would would you do because as i said you're not a 30 year veteran you're a 10 or 12 year veteran and you've really gone pro the last few years you know what's and you've doubled your business every couple of years what 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 tips would you give someone either who's off track or just starting well look you got to have a vision i mean jack and isabella are waiting outside the meeting room now because we're about to sit down and and continue working through our plan for next financial year because come first of july if we don't have that written down in writing we will meander our way through, you know, the first couple of weeks, which will turn into a couple of months and we won't be on track. So you've got, you've got to have a vision. I think what an exciting time at the moment, as we've gotten traction back in the marketplace coming out of COVID, thank goodness, um, where there is a lot more activity. So if you don't have one already set for the new financial year, certainly sit down, work through five core pillars, you know, looking at business and personal management, your prospecting strategies, your listing strategies, your buyer servicing strategies and your sales process, you know, start with those five key things and off the back of them, you can start looking at, you know, budgets and marketing plans and things like that. But just start with the basics. What are the non-negotiables in your business? What's the non-negotiables with you coming to work every single day? You've got to have a vision. 
Brilliant. I love it, Ruben. I love it. Now, that's great, mate. Well, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up now. That's terrific. Uh, if anyone wants to follow Ruben, he's on all the socials, Ruben Packerhill, uh, McGrath Paddington. Um, you know, he, he's, he's an agent with, with a bullet. He's, 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 uh, he's definitely going to double his business again next year. Um, you know, it's been great working with you over the, over the last few years, Ruben, and obviously we'll, we'll, keep, um, we'll keep in touch. And it's been terrific to have you on, mate. We really appreciate your time. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate all your assistance over the years. Pleasure, mate. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Talk, talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.